Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's How Do We Fix It with Richard and Jim. The Crisis of Refugees and Migrants. Leonard Doyle. The people who come to this or any other country as refugees are fleeing terrorism. So it's one of the cruelest ironies to me that they in turn then get tarred with the brush of being terrorists. More people have died on the migratory route certainly than died from Ebola. So given the crisis level that we had for Ebola, let's have the same for migration. The other thing is we need to figure out how to ensure that development takes place so that people don't have to migrate. People leave, they vote with their feet because things aren't too happy at home. People, I think, would prefer to stay in their community, however tough it is. They need to be given some hope. You know, you're not going to have the huge success of the U.S. tech industry without the ability to bring in some very brainy migrants from around the world. Our show is about fixes. Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How, how do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? The world is facing the worst refugee and migrant crisis since the end of World War II with a great tide of human suffering, Jim. Hundreds of thousands of people have passed into Europe this year from the Middle East and Africa. And the trip's dangerous. Several thousand have died at sea. The crisis having a profound impact also on politics here in the U.S. with Donald Trump's calls for a radical change in, in border policy, as well as in Europe with the Brexit vote recently and the declining popularity of Germany's Chancellor Angela Merkel. Right, after her government welcomed large numbers of Syrian refugees. And world leaders have just met here in New York for a global U.N. summit on refugees, aiming to come up with some kind of new response. Leonard Doyle is head of media and communications at the International Organization for Migration, and we're at IOM's New York offices. So, Leonard, welcome. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. So what do we do about the fact that some countries seem to bear a huge load in terms of accepting migrants, refugees, and others don't? How do we make this burden something that can be shared more equitably? This is really the big, big challenge, and it's made worse by episodes of terrorism in which there's a refugee or a son or a child of a refugee involved. It's made worse by a kind of toxic media environment where people are responding to the latest tweet rather than to the latest substantive piece of reporting. And it challenges some of the generosity of countries like the United States, which have been incredibly generous towards refugees, but have been restrained in the last while because of political pressures, I think. Thus, we've seen Canada 
you know, the Canadian Prime Minister made it part of his election pledge that he was going to accept more refugees and then gets elected. So it was a plus for him. But somehow it's a negative in many countries. And I think turning around that narrative is the great challenge. And that's one of the challenges that's been set by this summit. So let's look at how this refugee crisis compares with with others. I'm going to do something really terrible now and correct my hosts. Okay. Okay. We're calling it the Summit on Refugees and Migrants. So this is important because a lot of people, more people than you would imagine, often conflate the two. Now, indeed, every refugee is a migrant, but not every migrant is a refugee. What do we mean by that? Well, refugees have an absolutely well-founded fear of persecution. These are people who are fleeing ISIS, fleeing terror, who are deserving under the 1951 Convention to an asylum hearing and hopefully to asylum. So, so refugees typically fleeing danger. Yeah, and, and they are more or less 24 million in the world, a very big number. But let me give you the number of IDPs, a new word, internally displaced people. These are internal refugees, people who have fled danger within their own country and haven't left it yet. They're in the order of 30, 40 million. And then migrants take you all the way up to 240 million. So that's far too many numbers. But you can see that refugees are a relatively small proportion of the population of migrants. And migrants include everybody from students, overstaying tourists on their visa, to an economic migrant, to somebody you know in a high-tech job, to somebody who's just jumped over the border fence in some country. So... And in a lot of conversations about this, these different groups kind of get conflated and the conversation gets off track, partly because we don't define what we're talking about, don't you think? I do. And I think it's very difficult. It's understandable because, you know, when you say the word migrant, people tend to have an image in their head and it might often be a negative image because there's so much toxic discourse about them from our quite opportunistic political leaders, I have to say, because it's quite an easy way to get elected is to beat up on the last one in the door. But, uh, you know, we need to be bigger than that. We need to be smarter and realize that a migrant could be indeed the person who mugged you outside the train station. It's true, but is more likely to be the person who looked after your kids in the morning, maybe gives you a sandwich at lunch. Maybe even more typically, you know, if you're going to have some root canal surgery, it's a migrant who's going to look after it, and brilliantly. So we need to think of the full spectrum and appreciate that diversity actually is what migration is all about. The last time we saw a crisis of refugees on this scale, I think, was after World War II. And in the years that followed that period, a lot of work was done. And a lot of people you would meet today are the children or grandchildren of some of those refugees. What happened and how did that develop through the years? So in 1951, the countries of the United Nations put together the 1951 Convention, which established very firm guidelines and compels countries under international law to accept asylum seekers. So if somebody comes to your shores and said, I need asylum, you have to give them a hearing. There has to be due process. And if accepted as asylum seekers, they have to be integrated and brought into your society. That convention has saved the lives of countless people And it's under pressure because countries feel obliged to do something that they don't necessarily want to do. And it is really important that uh, people rally around it. It's one of the bedrocks of the UN system, and it's one of the ways in which we avoid shocking tragedies around the world. People can be removed from very hostile environments and given a new life. 
in the United States, we tend to think of refugees and migrants as people hopping over the border from Mexico. But it's just, that's a tiny slice of the overall crisis. Completely right. Um, You know, you're not going to have the huge success of the U.S. tech industry without the ability to bring in some very brainy migrants from around the world. You're not going to have world-class companies winning in global markets unless you can hire from the best brains in the world. Because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what global capitalism is. It needs the best and the brightest. Equally, refugees, the most vulnerable people, are identified by the U.S., UNHCR, our sister agency, and IOM, then bring them here, and they're usually dispersed in the population with uh, incredible charitable organizations. I'm going to push back against the initials. UNHCR, United Nations High Commission of Refugees. Correct, right? yeah. And then IOM, your group. International Organization for Migration. Two organizations kind of came into being at the same time. but After World War II? After World War II, but they got into the United Nations. We didn't. But now we are very much now part of the United Nations. And this is really important because what this does is it puts the issue of migration within the kind of discourse, the organized discourse of the UN. It's no longer just a sensitive bilateral issue to be dealt with by member states quietly and discreetly. The issue of migration is one of global concern. More people have probably died on the migratory route, certainly than died from Ebola. So given the crisis level that we had for Ebola, let's have the same for migration. The rights of migrants are coming to the fore, the rights of unaccompanied minors, because many of them don't fall under the UNHCR Convention for Refugees. So we have unaccompanied minors. They need protection. There are tens of thousands of them. Many have come into the United States from Mexico. Many have come into Sweden from Afghanistan. Tens of thousands don't fall under the protection of the conventions. You have family reunification. So you may have a refugee status for one person. What about the rest of the family? So they're not looked after. And now we have a new group, people fleeing shocks to the economy. Could be climate change, could be violence that's not necessarily political violence. There's conflict everywhere. And much of it is generating migrants. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And refugees. So what does your organization do exactly? That is a question I ask myself every day. No, but seriously, they, the IOM works in multiple ways. We ensure the safety and protection of migrants who are internally displaced. For example, South Sudan. There are 200 IOM staff working day and night, creating safe water, food, shelter, the best conditions they can in the circumstances for the many, many millions who've been displaced by that conflict. Then we will do things like resettlement of refugees. We will make sure they're you know, healthy, give them cultural orientation, which is, you've all seen the scene in the movies where the IOM guy gives somebody a kind of block of ice mm -hmm. so somebody from Africa can get an idea where they're going when they're sent off to Minnesota. But that whole process of cultural orientation is part of what we do. And we do a certain amount of advocacy. That's what I do, and that's what we're doing today on behalf of, of migrants and the whole reason and importance of having a diverse society with migrants. Is the migrant crisis worse today than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago? I think it's absolutely true that there is a crisis, but the crisis is quite often governments refusing to accept their responsibilities under the UNHCR Convention of 51 to accept refugees. We've seen the Germans have been extraordinarily generous. Angela Merkel, and she's been punished for it by the electorate, has taken in a vast number, almost a million. Not all will stay. Many will be judged to be not refugees and will be asked to go home. But they have been extremely generous, as have the Swedes. The rest of Europe, less so, which is a shame because the Europeans have been sending their people abroad, not least my Irish brethren, to populate other countries for hundreds of years. So they need to kind of lighten up a little bit, especially as there's a demographic cliff in many countries. I mean, Germany has the lowest birth rate in the world after Japan, so they need qualified people. But there's a lot of pushback to this, and it's not all coming from extremists and racists. And in order to really assess this, I think a lot of people feel we need to make a distinction between refugees who are fleeing life-threatening situations and economic migrants. I saw one figure that 72% of the um, refugees into Europe are mostly young men. It's not all women and children and families coming together. So there's a suspicion on the part of some people that there's a high degree of economic migration mixed in with the refugee flow, do the people have a point that we need to make sure that we can differentiate between war refugees and people are seeking a better life, but countries do have a legitimate right to control who comes into their border, who's granted the opportunity to live and work in their countries? You no, know, of course. And, you know, open borders is kind of a nonsense notion. We need, for very good reasons, we've seen some of them this week, we need to have security in our borders. We need to know who is within our borders. And that's a large part of what IOM does. We work to help countries around the world improve the security, while at the same time allowing the ebb and flow of people to take place. So it's terribly important. But to answer your point, you're speaking really of irregular migrants, as we call them, what is often described in the media as illegal migration, a word we don't support. And indeed, it is the case that, especially coming in through what's called the Western route, through Libya and into Lampedusa in Italy, the overwhelming majority are probably not entitled to asylum. 
And all their mates are on the way. They've seen it on WhatsApp. They've seen it on Facebook, so they better go. And they kind of see the flow of people coming in. Poor people aren't stupid. They know this is the last shot at it. Let's get in. They've seen Before maybe, the door comes yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. And they've probably seen a photograph of one of their buddies leaning against a Lamborghini that he doesn't own. And they want a piece of that. So in some respects, you know, the media, the environment creates this kind of rush of people. Some of it is very bad. Some of it actually comes via social media, some of the Facebook channels where you can open a business today. We could do that around the table today, open a business for illegal migration. Yeah, let, in- me, let me ask you more about the role that Facebook is playing. Well, I think it's kind of important that some of the values of old media, mainstream media, were that you know, if an editor made a mistake and did something, put in a kind of inappropriate photograph, for example, they'd pretty soon have the publisher on the phone. Why? Because the advertisers were on the phone saying, I'm not going to invest in your newspaper anymore. So there was a corrective mechanism that if a publishing entity did something that wasn't in, in sync with the, the community's values, it would be corrected. The problem with the new social media is that it is so big and so vast and the profits are so huge that there's no corrective mechanism. So if there's things going on out there that are supporting illegal activity, well, I know that Facebook worked hard to shut it down. But we don't know how hard, in fact, because there's no transparency there. We do know that they have a unit, and we work closely with them to monitor. But what we want to do is see the social media companies step it up and recognize that as they push into the developing world, as they make social media available to vulnerable people, they put those people in touch with smugglers for free. We have to help explain to those youngsters that here lies huge danger for you. We in International Organization for Migration are not against migration ever, but we do recognize that you need to have safe migration. And I think a lot of the tragedies that we see this year, 5,000 will probably die in the Mediterranean this year, drown like dogs in the Mediterranean. These are migrants and refugees coming from the Middle East and North North Africa. Africa. Yeah, I mean, those journeys might be a lot safer if social media stepped up to the plate a little bit and said, guys, make sure you know what you're getting in for. But instead, you're saying that there are social media um, uh, networks that are promoting the smugglers, they're promoting dangerous immigration routes. Uh, well, I'm not saying the social media networks are. I'm saying not they're, the networks they're that allowing... Using the social yeah. ne- networks. I mean, as I said, anybody can set up a Facebook page tomorrow, today, right now, and make false promises and say, the boat's leaving at 3 o'clock. Sign up here. Send your money to my PayPal account. And that's what's happening. You know, if, and you're 25 years of age and you've got a wife and some dependents and you're living hand-to-mouth, well, this is a very promising outcome for you. That's... One solution, one thing that should be done to improve the lot of migrants is to make migration safer. Well, yes, exactly. Make it safer so we don't lose lives and people aren't being exploited and having their, their savings taken away from them by criminals. The other thing is we need to figure out how to ensure that development takes place so that people don't have to migrate. People leave, they vote with their feet because things aren't too happy at home. I think there needs to be a refocus on ensuring you know, sustainable opportunities for people so they don't feel they have to move. Nobody really wants to move. That's kind of an illusion, I think. People, I think, would prefer to stay in their community, however tough it is. But they need to be given some hope. 
What about assimilation? One of the things I think is causing the backlash against Angela Merkel and, and perhaps some of the Brexit sentiment is this sense that in Europe, at least, people are concerned about accelerating a process of bringing in groups of people who are for whatever reason, seem to be slow to join the greater society. Is there a solution to that? Well, let me answer it with an anecdote. So when I came to the United States with my broad brogue of an accent at the time, many years ago, um, and arrived at JFK, the cab driver said, come on in, you're an American now, or you're a New Yorker. There was an immediate sense of wanting us to belong. Now, the Europeans really haven't done that very well. The North Americans to their great credit, you know, well, it's the nature of the country. They are built by migrants and built by immigrants. But it's in the DNA to integrate people. And that possibly explains why there have been far fewer issues with immigrants in this country than there have been in other countries. The problems we saw in Paris this year and we saw in Belgium and in Nice are not people just off the boat. Mm -hmm. These are second-generation folks who have been alienated not to excuse what they've done, of course, but the society needs to look at itself in the mirror and say, why have we allowed a ghetto to grow up? Why have we allowed these people to feel excluded? Germany, by contrast, you know, got its head around Turkish immigration 20, 30 years ago, invested really heavily in it, had special people working with corporations to ensure diversity, with the result that they've been able to accommodate, by and large, this huge recent flow, whereas other countries have freaked out about it. What if you'd been from Guatemala or, or uh, somewhere else and not from Ireland? Well, let me put it another way. A couple of weeks later, I was in London looking for an address in Kilburn in a taxi. And you know the way it happens. You, you don't quite have the right address. It's a bit confusing. It wasn't far enough. The ride wasn't far enough. And it led to an argument in which he said, go back to your own country. The U.S. does have a distinctly open kind of approach to what it means to be an American. I read a fascinating piece by a, a British guy who's third generation South Asian. I think his family was originally from Pakistan. He's a graduate of Oxford, and he was talking to somebody after he'd given a lecture, and the guy said, oh, that was a lovely lecture. Are you planning to return to your country at some point? It's like, <laughs> I'm as British as you are. But that's a difference. That's a cultural difference. And I personally feel like if we can do anything, it's to preserve that in the U.S. because that kind of thinking is under threat. Yeah, but I think the reality of globalization is that at least in the great metropolises of the world, people recognize that you need diversity to thrive and survive. What are some other constructive ideas around dealing with this crisis? Well, I mean, I think it's important to remember that migrants don't necessarily want to leave and go to a hostile or alien culture. So we need to think about something called circular migration. And with, this is what something we, IOM does with Haiti and with Guatemala, in which we work with quite often really poor, desperately hardworking farmers, interview them, make sure they don't have tattoos that would indicate they're members of a gang, for example, and set them on their way to work you know, as farm workers for a couple of months and go back help the kids get to school, pay off their debts. You know, they'll salt away more money than they'll make in a lifetime back home and live a life that they're already living, except in a more secure way. That seems to be actually a win-win. That is, you know, bringing people to a society where they're not going to stay forever. They're not going to create the pushback that you're alluding to. 
and yet they will bring immediate and complete benefit to their own home societies. What have you learned personally? You lived in Haiti. You lived in Manila in the Philippines. Well, I mean, one of the things you learn is that, you know, you have the same issues pretty much every country you go to. Sitting here in the United States, New York, you think it's all about the U.S. Every country in the world is grappling with these issues of internal migration, external migration, the wrong people coming in, people coming in as trafficked individuals. It's become the global phenomenon of our time. It's kind of the last flick of the globalization monster in a way. We have free trade. We have trade in goods and services. This is the bit they didn't really plan very well, the movement of people. But people watch. People aren't stupid. They watch television. They see a better lifestyle happening somewhere else. Maybe they're being abused for their LGBT status. Maybe they're being abused because they're a woman. Maybe they're not getting through, the, breaking through the glass ceiling. Well, we've kind of empowered them with our globalized television, our globalized media, and our globalized trade. So good luck to them. What about the concerns about terrorism? You mentioned the attacks in France and Belgium. In New York City, over the past weekend, we had a, a bomb go off. We've had Orlando, San Bernardino, Fort Hood, the Boston Marathon. But what do you say to regular people who say, well, wait a minute, what do all these attacks have in common? And am I insane for being concerned about more migration from these areas that have produced, even in the second generation, as in the Boston Marathon attacks, that are giving rise to this penchant for terrorism? Well, I think, I think the important thing is to remember that the people who come to this or any other country as refugees are fleeing terrorism. These are people who've seen people beheaded in front of them, who've seen their, their kin, their wives and daughters raped in front of them. So it's kind of one of the cruelest ironies to me that they in turn then get tarred with the brush of being terrorists themselves or fellow travelers with terrorists. Indeed, it's tragic that when we see somebody who's been given the opportunity and brought into this or another country, you know, go off the rails and do something stupid. Of course it is, you know. But the notion that all of them are somehow party to that is, seems to me to be bonkers. It, it seems that, especially in a country as wealthy as this one, that many of us have a view of migrants and refugees as the other, as something almost abstract. Is, is that a major problem in how we face this? I think it's kind of the biggest problem, Richard. And in a way, it's, it's a problem of our time when many people don't get out of their box, don't leave their screen. I was walking through a park in Geneva the other day on a lovely sunny afternoon. Every single person I saw was looking at a, at a phone. The only person who wasn't was an African immigrant because he couldn't afford one, probably. <laughs> He'd like to have one, too. So what am I trying to say is we don't talk to people as we should, as we did. We don't encounter people. And then you become afraid of people. And then you see people as the other. And uh, I think a large part of the problem is that the way society is developing, people aren't engaging with each other. They're not going to church in anything like the numbers they used to. They're not meeting people, being introduced to people in a safe space. And I think that's something that kind of has to be addressed and changed. It's very difficult to do it, of course, because the push of technology is to make us more insular. Leonard Doyle of the International Organization for Migration. Thanks for joining us. And uh, thanks for inviting us to your New York office. Thanks. It's been an absolute pleasure to be probed and tested by such uh, <laughs> smart people. Uh, and be delighted to come it's back. It's like an alien abduction. <laughs> Excellent. 
So, Richard, first of all, full disclosure, um, Leonard's an old friend of yours. You guys have worked as colleagues. Right, uh, which is why you, as were, you had the temerity to disagree with him more than I did. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think what the organization does is so important. Right. And, I'm, uh, and I think that everyone needs to, to be aware of what's going on. And, and I f- deeply agree that we need to first make sure that we respond to this crisis of refugees in a humanitarian way. And secondly, acknowledge a generally separate question, how valuable migration is and for modern countries. And one more thing, and this is why I had Leonard on the show, because I think that, that migrants and refugees are not looked upon by many parts of the media as people. It's like they're these objects or these people who are completely different from us. Uh, okay, here and, goes, here. And, and that's where I have a real problem with how they're portrayed. See, I, I'm going to push back. I don't think that's the media. I mean, the media tends oh, to I be... Oh, I think it is. You think the media is yeah. pr- promoting a... Uh, like who? I, I agree with Leonard. I think that there is a real objectification of people who are not like us. And so we think of the people who are coming in fresh off the boat as being in some way having a different set of values and aspirations than the rest of us do in, in who already live in this country. And I think what that What news that, organization would do that? Well, I think Fox does it. There's no question to, to my mind that Fox News Channel does it. I think that there are that this is more of a problem for conservatives than it is for liberals. So here's here's where I think we have a problem. It's the deep impulse to demonize your fellow citizens when you disagree with them. Some people are concerned that we have 12 million undocumented people in this country, and what do we do about that problem? I think we need a humanistic solution to that problem. But to immediately jump to the conclusion that anybody who thinks that's a problem at all is obviously a racist and objectifies anybody from Latin America isn't necessarily fair. Some are. But when you immediately tell people that to even raise the issue or to even have any concern about it makes you a racist, you're marginalizing people who have a concern. That concern might be legitimate, might not be legitimate, but, but you push them into a corner when legitimate politicians refuse to address a concern of the populace, you'll get illegitimate politicians filling the void. And I think we're seeing that. We're seeing the we rise sure of these right-wing parties in yes, Europe. Yes, we are. You're seeing the rise of Trump, especially in the sort of, yeah. the sort yeah. of far-right tinge. These people are, are wrong, but they're partly a product of the, of the establishment not grappling with what are understandable concerns. Yeah. I, accept, I accept that that having 12 million people here illegally and not doing anything about that is right. an affront to the system and when you, of and law. When you tell these people, I, I agree with you on that. You're racist for thinking but, that. And don't you know migrants are good for the country? They say, well, we're not necessarily talking about immigrants. We're talking about illegal immigrants. And, and we're being vilified even for that. I, I'm with you on that. But I also think that we need to treat this whole problem in a more humane way. And we need to look at the the motives and the challenges that are facing migrants and refugees in a more open way and also acknowledge that past generations of this country have often come here in desperate circumstances and have made this country greater and richer in every possible way. Oh, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think I'm, I'm in favor of, of more immigration, but I count me with the people who want to know who's coming in. And you also need to be economically honest that high levels of low-skill immigration are going to hurt the wages of low-income 
less well-educated native-born American. A subject to be dealt with in a yeah. future show. Right. Jim, thanks. All right. You too. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And the show is produced by Miranda Schaefer, and we're here at the International Organization for Migration in New York. And uh, the music that you're just listening to now is by Lou Stravinsky. We're produced by Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Thanks for listening. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.